mind. Uh, some of you may be new and didn't realize I was gone uh, for about six months and uh, enjoyed that time. Did a lot of thinking, um, uh, prayer, in, in interacting with scripture, uh, chores around the house, kind of regular things as well, did some travel. And uh, uh, it kind of culminated with our, our daughter, Aubrey, getting married in, in Mexico uh, at the end of June. And so uh, we're all as a family just uh, rejoicing in God's uh, leading in her life. And uh, so I'm here, and this is the third installment uh, of my sabbatical reflections. And so a little bit of an autobiographical sermon, I guess, but uh, I've been uh, a stage in my life. Uh, I'm in my 50s. We won't get any more specific than that. I am in my 50s, and um, when people turn into their 50s, when they move into that stage in life, they are asking different questions about their lives. One of the questions that you ask in your 50s is, what am I doing that is deeply meaningful to me personally? In other words, the activities of my life, are they meaningful and are they valuable for me at this stage in my life? And so there is, uh, creeping into my thinking, um, something that is difficult. Uh, I didn't expect this to be this way. Um, my first five or six years, I think, as a Christian, uh, I came to faith when I was 19. And so my first five or six years as a Christian were really, I was sort of shuffling off the ground. I think I was hovering about five inches off the ground. I had no understanding what difficulties were or affliction or persecutions or as if I've been through anything like that. But the difficulty of continuing on in the Christian life, uh, or at least functioning as a pastor, was really way, way out there. It was not even on my radar. I don't know where you are this morning, what your struggle is, but I'm wondering if you're asking the question about uh, your life now. I don't know specifically what the struggles are, but um, there is a a part of us that is powerful and has to be dealt with. Uh, people in their 50s, if I speak for my people, I can represent you, I guess, uh, we can do some pretty silly things and stupid things with uh, our lives at that stage. We can make some poor decisions. We can uh, grasp at something that we would think would be happiness and uh, bring others into our, our turmoil and, and, and foolishness. So uh, there is this entity within us called the self. And if you've been with us here at Trinity for a while, you'll note that it tends to be kind of a subject I am interested in. If you ever come across a book on the self, like Modern Life and the Self, or something like that, uh, you should probably buy that and I'll pay for it because I am fascinated with the subject of modern life and, and the self, and I do that out of my own personal need. The, uh, the text that we're looking at today is from the book of Acts, which is a history book. If you are new to the Christian faith or you're not a believer, uh, what the book of Acts is is written by Luke, uh, who was kind of the early church historian, and he wrote this book to record the early journeys of some of the apostles, uh, particularly uh, Peter and Paul. And uh, these are the, the first 25 years or so of the early church. And so we have a history book of how the church moved about into the world, particularly into, into Europe. We also have a record 
of how at least the Apostle Paul's life uh, concluded, uh, likely in, in Rome. So in this book, we have the Apostle Paul going back to a place that he had stayed about two and a half years. Imagine the, the Apostle Paul with us for two and a half years. <laughs> and he has trained people in this area uh, called Ephesus. And he has uh, held uh, lectures there. He has gone door to door discipling people in the church. He has spent time with the Ephesians, and now about 40 miles south of there uh, in an area called Miletus, on the beach in where we would call modern-day Turkey, um, the Apostle Paul is meeting with these elders who he has trained and developed, and he is saying goodbye. It is one of the, it's a beautiful, moving passage where you get to know his heart for ministry and you get to know his emotional connection to the people that he served. And then you get to know his inward life. What we're really listening to in this, in this message to the Ephesian elders is we're listening, we're listening to Paul's thoughts about himself, but they are not uh, selfish thoughts. Uh, they are not narcissistic thoughts. They are a self that has progressed in sanctification in a very good way. Uh, he was a struggling sinner all his life, but I think it's safe to say that the Apostle Paul made some good advancements uh, in his sanctification, and so we are listening in on his thoughts about himself. So I, what I want to do is I want to have you just narrow your focus. Uh, if you want to draw a line around uh, verse 23 and 24, verse 23 and 24, let me just start with verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So he is reflecting now uh, on how God's Spirit had been leading him. He was not given all the information, only that uh, Paul, it's going to be very similar to your, to your experience up to this point. You will experience imprisonment and, and affliction as you travel to Jerusalem. And what's profound is his response to the Holy Spirit's direct revelation to him. It's quite remarkable. He says in verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So I do not regard myself as valuable. I do not regard my life as precious. Um, I am only wanting to fulfill my calling. Now, uh, I'm at a stage in my life where I need uh, to watch the lives of those who have gone a bit further than I have in life and to receive inspiration from them. Uh, I, for instance, watched uh, a documentary on Winston Churchill. Uh, that's an individual who uh, is a remarkable example of persevering in difficult times in in an extraordinary way. The Apostle Paul is a great example 
of persevering in an extraordinary way. I think all of us need to look upon, particularly in Scripture, uh, the, the believers who have been pace-setters for us. We are actually encouraged to do this in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We're actually encouraged to look at the lives of other believers and take, and take inspiration from them. And so I want to encourage you to look at verse 24, and I want you to process this uh, with me. Uh, This is, uh, in the words of an English scholar, F.F. Bruce, who wrote a book called Paul, Apostle of the Heart Set Free. Apostle of the Heart Set Free. This is an expression of the heart set free. I can't imagine a greater vision statement for our church that we would increasingly have hearts that are set free. When you think about your own life, your own heart, where you live, would that describe you? Are you entering into freedom? Is freedom a word that would describe how you're interacting with your circumstances, with people, or are you being owned by these circumstances, owned by uh, these, the approval of others? What, what is the role that others are playing in your life? So um, when I go into a city, I expect to be treated pretty well. <laughs> I have expectations. Uh, and the Apostle Paul is going into cities of his day, and he is able to not regard his own life. Now, one of the tricky things about the book of Acts is that we are we're not, we as a church are not given a, therefore, you should. There, there's no direct exhortation to us. Uh, it's just we're reading a history, and we're reading Paul talk to the Ephesian elders. So uh, as we read it, though, we know much more is going on in Scripture. Uh, someone once said that we don't really read the Bible. The Bible reads us. Uh, and as we read this, we know there is a direct connection with the words of Jesus, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, uh, cannot bear life. So we know that as we, as we are followers of the cross, you know uh, pretty instinctively that God calls you to die. Uh, and uh, we tend to kind of avoid those passages of Scripture that do call us to die. But here's a person who is reflecting out loud that, They've embraced this, and they're not not afraid of that. The apostle of the heart set free. Um, Think on that. Dwell on that. Am I moving into that freedom? Uh, What's remarkable about this individual in Acts 20 is he is really not recognizable compared to the person that we first get to know in the Bible. Uh, we are introduced to Paul as his Jewish name, Saul, and we are introduced to him in Acts chapter 7, where a gathering of a religious mob is gathered around uh, Stephen, who was a follower of Christ, and Stephen is giving an extraordinary sermon about hardness of heart, and uh, Stephen is stoned to death. He is, he is the first martyr of the church, and Saul of Tarsus, the one we're hearing about in Acts 20, was there, and he was collecting and gathering the the cloaks of those who were throwing stones, and he was in hearty agreement to the death of Stephen. 
And what's remarkable from Saul of Tarsus in Acts 7 to Paul in Acts 20, what's remarkable is the very same spirit, verse 24, the very same spirit that was in Stephen is now in Paul. The very same ability to endure suffering and to not run from it is there in, in Paul. It's quite, quite remarkable. He embodies the very same spirit. The, the key word is, uh, is consider or account. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. It's very interesting, that word account. Um, it, it's a word that um, you can make other words in English out of that we would be familiar with. I do not construct, I do not make. It's, it's similar to the idea of making or constructing an argument. Have you ever been involved in that? So you're constructing, you're thinking through how to, how to present something, right? So your mind is working sequentially. How should I approach this subject and present it? Well, what's going on here is Paul is thinking about himself, and he is constructing thoughts about himself. And when he gets to the end of that, when he's done constructing his thoughts about himself, when he gets to the end of that, he compares that. And I, I, I think great things about myself. I, I, I want to preserve myself, I, I, right? He comes to the conclusion that when I compare my calling in life to what I might naturally want about my life, myself, when I compare these two, one of them loses out. And this is it. I do not, when I come to conclusions, when I construct an argument for myself, I do not take myself into account, nor do I think of myself as precious and worth keeping. Now that is quite, quite countercultural. Pastor in your 50s, what are you thinking about yourself? You see, let's no longer look outside as if the problem is out here. Let's go and let's do some real constructive arguing with yourself. Begin to formulate your thoughts about yourself because you will, and I'm speaking to you now, each of you are going to look out on difficult circumstances in your life. Very, very few people, I think I'd say to say, will encounter this kind of affliction and difficulty as we're hearing in Paul's life. But each of us have difficulties and hardships that are coming our way. And God has called you to a great calling he has called you to his son. It is an extraordinary calling of holiness and growth and grace. It is an Im immense privilege to be part of the kingdom of God. And I would plead with you to begin that argument with yourself. Uh, it's been said that we talk to ourselves the most. That's the one person we do the most talking with. And so since we are already talking to ourselves the most, let's do it biblically. Each of us are called to follow Christ, to embrace the cross, to die to self, and this is for our joy. 
C.S. Lewis once said, mine, in its fully possessive sense, cannot be uttered by a human being about anything. Mine, in its fully possessive sense, this is, this is the, the, the Apostle Paul is saying, mine is, I, I can't say that. I can't say it about the beat in my chest. I can't say it about the, the day I have. I can only rely upon the grace of God in my calling in life, and he sees it as a great privilege. Paul's particular calling was very unique. He was the steward of a revelation. The revelation was that God intends to create, surprise, surprise, a Jew-Gentile church. Now, for us, we might not think that's all that revolutionary. In Paul's day, these were two groups that were radically divided. They did not associate with each other. They did not talk to each other, barely traveled in, uh, regionally where they all hung out. And the Apostle Paul comes into situations, and he brings this gospel of a one united people to glorify God through Jesus Christ. This is his stewardship. This is his calling. And uh, to, to do this calling, something would, would not work in his life, and that is self-protective strategies. Okay? Self-protective strategies. There's an old English poem that has a line that goes like this. Thou hast suffered me securely to rest. Thou hast suffered me securely to rest. And, and I think that poem, if I could interpret it, is saying that the idea that you have suffered me, that you have taught me afflictions, you have taught me difficulties, and they have instructed me well. They have taught me to be secure in you. They've taught me something important. And if you're here uh, recovering from hardship, uh, recovering from betrayal, recovering from, from loss in your life, I, I, my, my encouragement to you is, first of all, I identify with you. And I want you, I want, along with you, I want that to work for good to you. You, you could see something of what God is doing, at least in directing your heart to him that there's not a bitterness toward him or you're working through bitterness, but it's, Lord, you have suffered, you have suffered me. You brought me securely through this. You brought me safely through this. I see, I see your work. It's been hard, but I see your work. One author described this as following hard after God. Let me wrap this up with a couple ideas. What, what should we pick up from this text? What should we take home, glean? A couple, about five or six ideas here. First, there is a compelling calling upon all of us to put ourselves under the scrutiny of God's holy and good gaze upon our lives. There's a compelling calling. Second, we are stewards of that calling.
We are stewards of the calling that God has upon us. He has called us to do ministry. That's what Paul's doing. He's establishing a Jew-Gentile church wherever he goes. We are called to interact with people who are different than us. Paul, as a, raised as a Jew, would interact with Gentiles. We are called, there's a calling to us to build up the church. And as you are called, I want you to know, as one who has a call upon him to, to minister and to be a preacher, the calling is to be a, 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 a foundation for you to come back to repeatedly over and over. Because the self will cry out, oh no, go this direction. Oh no, trust in this. Each of us are called as stewards of our calling. And then third, there's a mental process is needed whereby I construct a right understanding for how to use my life energies. In other words, there's a process going on, and, and you, you are encouraged. That's why we have good books in the foyer. What, what, what we're after is to begin to sh- uh, interact in your mind and your heart with some of the good thinkers about the Christian life, you are called to construct a good argument for your thinking about yourself. Don't be, I would encourage you not to be afraid of this. None of us will be the Apostle Paul. This is an extraordinary, unique person, but his life is held forth not to frustrate us, but to say he was, what is it about this man who was willing to follow God into cities, and the people were there waiting with bricks. I mean, what, what are we to do with this? What, and in fact, if, if you go away just puzzled, puzzled this morning, I would consider God's word to be effective. If this would strike you as, what on earth is going on here? I've never seen this. I've never understood. I, 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 don't, I don't see this on the streets I, I walk. But each of us are called in, to a mental process to construct a right understanding of how to use our life energies. Churchill, the bombings in London. He wanted to be with the people of London. He would regularly walk out, a fresh bombing, a church destroyed. The next morning, Churchill's walking through the rubble, inspecting it, meeting with the people of of London. He refused to sleep in the bunker underneath number 10, number 10 Downing Street. They'd constructed a, a massive safe place for him to sleep. He slept up in the, in the, in the, where the prime minister sleeps in his bedroom uh, and wanted to identify with the struggle of the people of London and would not hold himself off uh, and away from that. Extraordinary example. He understood what leadership would, what kind of leadership England needed, and he was a man for his time. And so for us, that mental process, think through, the church needs you to do this kind of work and labor. Think about the wrestling the self to the ground. Some of the things that you are called to do in, 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 in the life in the church can be difficult. But also, God has given us the, 
the resources in the gospel to strengthen us and to encourage us. Another idea is begin to watch and see if you, when it comes to something difficult, when it comes to something hard, ask yourself, is this beginning to be diminished in my life? Like, it might be hard, but are you sort of overlooking that? Now, I know that you can do this in your job, and you realize that, you know, more maybe the threat of your supervisor or whoever in charge of you. Maybe there's different reasons why you do what you do. But I'm talking about just the difficulty of something, maybe perhaps life in the church, perhaps just something is hard to do. I want you to think about, let me think about that. Are you, do you, can we use the word despise? Jesus despised the sufferings of the cross because he, he knew that ultimately it was going to glean and prove to be fruitful for your salvation. So I'm I mean, I ask as you process this, as you take, take Acts 20, 24 home with you, as you process this, I want you to think, when I think about difficulties, am I sort of not afraid of those? Am I making some progress in that area? And of course, for, uh, for us others, perhaps chronologically uh, a bit more challenged than others, um, are you thinking about finishing well in, in the Christian life? And then, uh, again, this is, this is again this sense of selflessness where Paul's expressing how he committed his life to the Ephesians and he went house to house in order to, to disciple them and to, and to train them and uh, encourage you to think in terms of if you wrestle well the impulses of yourself, if you wrestle well, the odds are you're going to begin to live out your calling in, in the church, and that has to do with using your spiritual giftedness and building up the body of Christ. Thou hast suffered me securely to rest. God has great gospel purposes for your life. They are underway right now. God has a, a, a plan for you to wrestle well with these subjects. And he, in his grace, has given you his word today. And uh, he also gives us the, uh, the grace that is in the Lord's Supper as well as we partake of the elements this morning. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, close in prayer. I'm going to uh, uh, pray for us. And uh, we're gonna, I'll pray for the, uh, the offering. And uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for um, this extraordinary life that we